Welcome to this latest edition of the Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.World, together with Avico. We're recording this episode at the offices of Cluster Truck in Indianapolis, and not in a recording studio, which means that the sound quality might not be up to our usual standard. I'm Peter Backman, and today we'll talk about delivery in general, and technology in particular, and no doubt we'll get on to other topics too, with our special guest Chris Baggett, as we try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector. Chris is co-founder and CEO of ClusterTruck, and he's a wildly successful software entrepreneur. We'll probably get into ClusterTruck in more detail shortly, but Chris, what's in your background that got you into delivery? Oh, great question. Um, And thank you for having me, by the way. You know, I just have to say it's a problem-solving nature that I have. Um, You know, all of my software startups um, have usually come from a problem that I've experienced uh, and then struggled with and thought, how do we make this better? How would you do this? Delivery is just one of the problems that you have solved in your career. Yes, yes. I've been at software um, and software startups. Uh, You know, we had a very... um, successful exit on a company called Exact Target that we were able to go public in the New York Stock Exchange and then it was acquired for $2.7 billion by Salesforce. After that, I had a company called Compendium Software, uh, really around content marketing and uh, search that uh, Oracle bought relatively quickly, um, which was a great outcome as well. And then um, got involved in the restaurant business a little bit saw some of the pain there, especially as online ordering, even before delivery was sort of becoming a thing, you know, just the friction with online ordering. And, you know, friction is just something I I hate. So I've got a couple of thoughts that I'd like to share with you on the topic of delivery, and particularly delivery riders and drivers. In many countries, especially in the US, they drive cars. But in most other countries, they ride bikes or even walk down the street with a backpack of the food they're going to deliver. So perhaps we should refer to them as riders. But whatever, they are the forgotten people in this sector, and yet they have a major influence over its profitability. Drivers are out in all weathers and at all hours, including late into the night. They are forgotten because the emphasis is on technology and restaurants, not to mention ghost kitchens, And yet, without those drivers, we wouldn't have the food we've ordered delivered to us. Those that are on bicycles have special challenges in the wettest weather and in the hottest weather. They have to cycle up hills and weave between cars and trucks that pay no regard to them. And they don't get paid well. Yet, they have a fundamental role to play in the profitability of the delivery model. Making money from the last mile is a challenge. It's probably impossible. And yet we entrust drivers who we don't pay well with the responsibility of delivering food to the right address in the best possible condition in the shortest possible time. So I say, let's hear it for the restaurant delivery drivers and riders. Chris, what do you think? I agree 100%. I mean, it's, it's you know, this is your front of house. Um, but again, it's, the problem is it's people are not coming at this holistically. You know, and, and I'm deeply immersed in the, in the idea of holistic management and have been for quite some time. Um, I also have a sustainable farming business and we're big disciples of Alan Savory's and, and, um, and, and, you know, holism, looking at the whole problem. And when we were looking at, at food delivery, you know, we're like, wow, you've got this rapidly growing business. Great. 
You've got three major constituents, customers, drivers, and restaurants, and none of them are happy. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're like, well, boy, if I could make these people happy in this rapidly growing industry, I'd have a pretty good business. And that's how we really focused. And in our world, you know, we really started with the driver as the core constituent. In, in our model, um, the driver is more important than the customer. It, that's your, that was your starting point when you were thinking about the software and then moving into cluster truck exactly. as a business. Yes, yes. It was very much about, you know, how do we take the worst job in the gig economy, which is delivering prepared food, and make it the best job in the gig economy? And we've done that. The way that you've been talking, given your background, um, the tech uh, solution, tech problem, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, has got to be central to what we're talking about. Right. And it's got to be a system. It can't be a point here and a point there and a point there. Everything has to work together, right? We call it resource aware. I need to know everything from inventory to what's going on at all of my cook stations, how do my recipes work together? How does my procurement work together? Inventory management, cooking times, as well as the driver and their proximity and the proximity of our zones. How far and where are we going to send these drivers? It's uh, the management of delivery, which is a complex business. And, and that's always struck me as being part of the problem uh, that n no one person can have an overview of what's happening. Um, and it would seem uh, reasonable, therefore, to say that tech is, has got to be part of the solution because nowadays we see tech through the AI lens or uh, whatever other lenses one wants to look at, that tech is um, a way of, of solving problems providing it's done correctly. And it strikes me that not everybody does it correctly. Well, again, most, if not all, of this, what people call tech, are, are these individual point solutions, right? They're not holistic. They don't work together, and the stove doesn't work with them, right? They're not even contemplating that, or even the drivers, right? The drivers, that's DoorDash's problem, or Relay's problem, or, you know, and, and the fact is that I don't know when I should cook the food if I don't know where the driver is, right? And I don't know if I can cook the food if I don't know where my drivers are. And I don't know if I can cook the food if I've got 40 hamburgers ahead of you and the hamburger takes three minutes. I can't tell you you're going to have your hamburger in three minutes, right? I have to know exactly what's going on in that station. And if that hamburger's tied to pad thai, you know, what's going on in my pad thai station, right? Like it's, 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 it's got to be holistic. We use machine learning. We, you know, in the restaurant industry, AI has been wildly overused. I don't think there is any. Um, you know, the first day I saw in my life was ChatGPT. So it's, as someone who's been in software for close to 30 years, you know, we all kind of roll our eyes every time we hear someone say AI, especially in the restaurant business. Yes, I, I, I take that absolutely. And of course, the tech business is rather strange to the um, restaurant business. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, they're, yeah. <laughs> restaurant terrible. business yeah. is all about people. It's about cooking food. It's about solving multitude of problems as they arise. Right. And so, that's where what we had to do was take all that institutional knowledge, which we didn't have because we're not deep restaurant people, and really think how could we consider that data and therefore how do we build software around it? Just, you know, when to cook food 
typically in a restaurant is a person, right? Drop this, do that. You know, the Gordon Ramsay, you know, archetype. We're like, that's data. Let's just put it in a database and fire things at the right time. So given your background, I would have thought that, okay, once you'd identified the problems, the solution was quite easy. You just write the software and job done. (laughs) Yeah, right. Eight years later. It's so easy. Yeah. No, we had a lot to learn. And, you know, again, that's one of the things we're really proud of. And, you know, we've spent a lot of money. I mean, we've had almost $40 million come into the business over, we're in our seventh year. And yeah, we went down a lot of wrong paths and, and, you know, we learned a lot of lessons, um, which, you know, we're here to share now. This is how you do it. (laughs) Well, maybe we can get back onto that, but I I just want to um, outline for you to outline the, um, the position of cluster truck right now. You've got Five kitchens? Is right, that we have five locations, um, three here in Indianapolis area, one in Kansas City, and one in Columbus, Ohio. And each kitchen has got roughly how many people? It depends on the model. We have two different cooking models. One is, uh, um, you know, we call it an indie-style kitchen, which is more, more like a cheesecake, which is kind of our initial epiphany, right? It's like, okay, cheesecake, I know I need to make a lot of, a lot of different kinds of food, um, you know, how am I going to do this? You know, and I thought about Google, right? I've been there many times. You know, they're renowned to make world-class food that, you know, they can make great vegetarian dishes and great pad thai and great pizzas and great cheeseburgers and salads. And and so spent some time up there, learned about shared ingredients. And and um, then somebody introduced me to the concept of cheesecake, which I'd never been to one. And, you know, spent a few weeks hanging out in the kitchen of a cheesecake factory. And eventually our um, executive chef, our first executive chef was 19-year up at Cheesecake Factory. And that's kind of how we build it. And now we have another smaller model with a much lower break even. And it's more of a suburban model where we're cooking in ovens. So it's eliminated three stations in the kitchen. We're still making pad thai in an oven. Um, so it's the same menu, but a lot lower footprint. So we can break even, you know, in the sub $1 million range. So do you see this as, as two separate models that you're running or one um, that varies? You know, it just, it all is volume dependent. When you build a cheesecake style factory, you need cheesecake style revenue. The facility you're in right now, you know, we will do, um, or I'm sorry, uh, I think last year we did $7 million. This year we're probably closer to eight. You know, so you need a big kitchen to do that. In our smallest kitchen, you know, we've got a break even at $15,000 a week and we still, you know, make profit at that level. So that's sub $1 million a year. Um, so it all kind of depends. If you're in a big urban area with high density, then you can build a big kitchen. If you're in a suburban area where your delivery zone is going to have a lot lower population, you need to lower your break-even. And again, it's a lesson we learned. So we come back. Way. So we come back to uh, delivery riders as well, because they're going to govern um, how much business you can drive through the, the kitchen. Right, but the beauty of our system is. You know, the, the entire system is designed as a driver, as the primary constituent. What does that mean? Suppose I have a lunch and I have a delivery bubble and I'm looking and it's like, holy cow, we're at 70-minute delivery times. Now, I could bring on three more drivers and I could make that time go down. Kitchen is full. Bringing on more drivers doesn't help me. So that's why you have to coordinate that. But what I can also see is we call this state the cloud, and we can talk about this later, but... You know, I can see the future a little bit. So I know that that 70-minute bubble is only going to last for 10 minutes. If I bring on more drivers, 
I'm going to dilute everyone. All the drivers are going to make less money. However, if I allow the customer to have a 70-minute delivery time for 10 minutes, I keep all my drivers whole, they're going to make a lot more money. So the normal default would be, let's get that delivery time down for the customer. Our default is, let's not dilute the financial opportunity for the driver. So if, if the driver feels well um, looked after, gets paid a reasonable amount of money, that means that you're going to be able to rely on them more and therefore deliver a better service. Right. Well, so, you're, you're sitting here, you know, it's morning, and we have drivers that have been sitting in our area. Um, we, we ping drivers on based on proximity. So drivers start showing up here sometime around usually 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning just to wait so they can be closest because the first driver who's the closest is the first one pinged in. And if they have a number in their head, I want to make $350 today, they're going to come here at 6. And they're going to work until, you know, 5 or 6. You know, So, yeah, it's a long day, but there's not many other ways they can make that kind of money. So you get to know your drivers as well. Very well. I mean, as you said, we were outside. You know, these drivers, 75% of our drivers in every kitchen started the first week. And we've got kitchens that are 7 years old, 6 years old, 5 years old. They never leave. So they are part of the family. Absolutely. And that's another reason uh, why you, you can rely on them more uh, and that they can help drive the business because you don't have to worry about them. Well, they're better, right, because they have more experience. Like I used to go out and drive just to, you know, I saw Dara did this a couple weeks ago, and I used to do it all the time, and then they'd be like, can you stop driving? You're too slow. You know, because, I'm sorry, I'm whispering, but... But, you know, these drivers get so good because they know their zone so well. They know their system so well. Um, you know, turnover is expensive, right? You've got to train new people. If you've got a random driver coming into your restaurant every single day, that's a whole new learning curve. That's minutes of time, you know, and we count our lives in, in minutes and seconds here. So we started off by talking about the delivery rider, and we, we've, we've come back to him is it always him or is it her as well? No, it's, it's, it's um, you know, we have women, we have, you know, moms that just want to drive lunch, put their kids on the bus, come down here, make $200 for in four hours, five days a week. Um, you know, there's a woman out here, Lindsay Ritter. You know, Lindsay started with us in the very, very beginning driving a jalopy. Um, Lindsay's a wonderful person, probably hadn't made some great decisions in her life. Wound up here, she's still here. She's been through three cars. My car is a 2018 Subaru Outback. Lindsay just rolled in last week with a 2022 Subaru Outback. So Lindsay has gone from being very poor to, to driving a nicer car than I do. Can I apply for the job, please? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, we have waiting lists. That's the thing, right? Everyone's talking about drivers and the management and how hard it is. We're riders. We're about 30% riders. Um, you know, we've got waiting lists in every market. Like, you can't drive for us. Right. Okay. So satisfied, um, committed riders, drivers, whatever they are, uh, are crucial. Absolutely. Um, technology is crucial to building them into the business. Right. Um, are you able just to tell us just a little bit about how that actually works, the process that you, you've created that sure. allows to drive the driver through the business? Right. So one lesson learned was delivery zone matters. For us to be profitable delivering food, we have to be able to get more jobs per hour for the driver, and we have to pay them less, right? So we pay them less than they would make driving for DoorDash, a lot less. 
but because they are so much more product productive because we only deliver to a seven to 10 minute delivery radius on average. So we deliver for free to the customer because our delivery costs are under, well under 10%, more in the eight to seven and a half percent range. That's cheaper than you could serve a customer in a restaurant. So we can deliver less expensively than we can serve you if we had a counter here. But because we can get the driver between four and six jobs an hour without batching, I should say, they make a heck of a lot more money because they're getting that many more jobs. So they're averaging, with tip, they average around eight to $9 a job and they're getting four to six jobs an hour. So they're in the 30s an hour. They're very, very happy and they never leave. So you're probably going to get a load of applications from this podcast then. Yeah, if you're in our areas, you know, <laughs> so we're looking at franchising as well. We're just finishing up our paperwork. Um, uh, actually, that was a topic that um, I thought we might move on to, uh, which is about the future. Sure. Not only the future for cluster truck, but the future for delivery in general. Right. So, um, and you've talked about franchising. From the way that you're talking, it would sound as though the world is your oyster. Is that true or is it just US or is it just areas in the US that might work for you? We've kind of proven it in every scenario, right? We've gone, as I said, I've got a kitchen that does fifteen to $18,000 a week that's profitable. And I've got a kitchen that does $150,000 a week that's profitable. So I feel like we can kind of fit in everywhere. We can bike, we can walk, we can drive. Um, you know, it's all whatever the right model is. I mean, I can imagine this in the Empire State Building you just have one, you know, you, that would be the only market, just riding the elevator. And uh, given um, the way that the world of delivery is working, quite an internet, well, it is an international business extending all around the world. Sure. Uh, with a multitude of different models. Have you looked at um, other, other markets outside the US? Not specifically. I just came back from France, you know, so I, I visited a few there and the, um, as customer mostly, um, just to see what it's like. Um, um, you know, we've got a partner that we're working with in Ireland, but you know, like I said, we haven't launched, and the U.S. is so big that you know we'll probably stay focused here for the time being. Yeah, you know, and I think what's happened is, you know, everyone is kind of thrown. Like we know a lot about what doesn't work, not just cluster truck, the industry, right? Mm -hmm. We know that the cloud kitchen model is very shaky. We know that the DoorDash model is, although everyone is still committed to it. You know, I always go back to travel. And like Expedia, where Dara used to be the CEO, and I have a whole speech of his where one of his key points was, you know, use Expedia as a marketing engine, but you need to maintain the relationship with the customer. If they don't come to you next and they're coming back to me, that's on you, right? So the whole idea of using these search engines, DoorDash and all of that for demand generation is fine, just like I use Google for demand generation. but. At the end of the day, you want to own that customer relationship and you've got to own that delivery. Uh, it's the only way you can make it affordable. So that sort of moves on to the area um, about the future for delivery in general. Uh, and it's, it struck me right from the very, very early days that um, everybody is paying for delivery. The investor... And yet nobody's making any money. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, you've got the investor, you've got the... Um, operator, you've got the, the ghost kitchens, you've got uh, the customer who's paying a lot, um, uh, and you've got tech companies and so on, um, all either not making money or 
getting close to it, but having some sort of um, strange definition of EBITDA to get there. <laughs> Adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA, yes. Uh, I've had conversations with accountants <laughs> about what that actually means. Right, and they right. say, well, it means what you want it to mean. Mm-hmm. So given that, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, why on earth it's do we crazy. have delivery? I mean, I'll tell you in the software business, I remember um, Salesforce years ago, they, they came out with this platform called S-Force. And we were thinking about building a company on it. The investors we went to, um, who were very, very smart people, would be like, that's crazy. Why would you build a business, and at the time Salesforce wasn't profitable, why would you build a business on top of an unprofitable business that you could look, you know? And now you look at all these businesses that are building dependent on DoorDash to be there. It's unprofitable, and they have no path to profitability except two things, fees, well, they're all fees, right? Fees on the customer or fees from a marketing standpoint, fees to the restaurants. And, you know, as I said, the very first day I, I started thinking about this problem was when I saw Grubhub go public. And Matt Maloney was talking, I think, to Jim Cramer. And, you know, he's talking about we bring these restaurants incremental revenue. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. You collect my data and you're going to build this massive database and you're going to sell it to the highest bidder, you know type in burger near me and I promise you it's going to be McDonald's. So you can start or you you can end with a point that delivery is a a crazy business and it doesn't work and yet it's um, worth globally it's worth several hundred billion dollars. That's the exciting part right? Yes. Everyone's doing it wrong right so if you can figure out how to do it right the customer's there, right? The customer is standing there saying, please serve me. And the customer is frustrated because it doesn't matter if it's my favorite local place. And now with DoorDash forcing batching and things like that, the food quality is going to go down. The timing is going down. The expense is going up for the consumer. So everything to try and make the economics of DoorDash work is really diminishing the driver and the customer experience, right? And so if you can come in here and make customers happy, in a day at Cluster Truck, 90% of our business comes from returning customers. Like once they have this experience that's like hot, fresh, good, friendly driver, free delivery, affordable price, like you check all the boxes, like they're not going back to the third parties. Right. So what, it, what is in, in a word or in a sentence, what is it that makes that model, the Cluster Truck model, work? Yeah, I think from the start, it's the technology. Right? It's the idea of having a, a holistic technology that is managing not only your drivers and your delivery, but your customers, and most importantly and most frequently missed, the kitchen itself. You have to manage the kitchen in conjunction with the driver. They're not two separate things. They're one thing. Um, and I think that's a, a, an incredibly helpful insight that most people don't... Um, recognize because it seems to me when they approach delivery they approach it as as a problem and the the problem is not how can i make this a profitable business that's going to grow going to satisfy people it's it's usually a more specific problem that that they've solved that's the Um, you know in holistic management we call that reductionist right you have a problem you're going to solve that problem you're not stepping back and saying What's causing this problem and what am I doing wrong in the whole system that's creating this end problem that I'm going to try and find an end solution for? 
So reductionist is, is a new word for me. Okay. It probably isn't for, for most people, but it's a new word for me. And it's one that's going to find its way into my lexicon and I'm going to be using it all over the place. So, it happened so, to me. So <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So um, I think it's probably getting sort of wrap-up time. Okay. Um, but is there anything that you feel is worth saying either about what we've been talking about, about the world of delivery, or about cluster truck that you think is really worthwhile? Well, I think out. generally speaking, you know, I'm a big fan of Clayton Christensen, you know, who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, um, you know, years ago, where he just talked about, you know, the problem with incrementality. You know, my background early on, my first data forays was with the catalog industry. Sears Roebuck was one of my customers. Sears brought me to the internet through Prodigy. Sears had warehouses. Sears had, you know, distribution and fulfillment centers and, you know, omni-channel thinking. And they lost, right? And they lost the internet and that caused them to lose everything because they thought incrementally. What we're seeing in the restaurant industry today is still incremental thinking. It's not disruptive. Amazon won because they said, we're going to do one thing better than anyone else. And now we're seeing lots of delivery kitchens coming up. And as you know, we split our software out of Cluster Truck into a company called Empower.Deliver. Um, and the combination between these other delivery, purpose-built delivery-specific kitchens, like to me, that's what's going to win. It's not going to work coming at the back door as incremental revenue. It's not going to work in massive real estate plays where I've got 25 kitchens in a building. It's going to work in a, in a very tightly integrated system. And we're seeing lots of entrepreneurs coming up to that. So that's great, Chris. So you've given us um, a website for empower.deliver, mm -hmm. but you haven't given us a website for Cluster Truck yet. So how oh, great. We don't really even have a website, but um, clustertruck.com, and then, you know, you can find our cities. So you want to look at our menu, because basically we don't have a website. Customers come straight to the menu. That's great. And uh, there's a lot of, lot of choice on your menu as well, which, yeah. it, which is, um, is a tribute to what you have created. Well, I think it's a big realization that folks out there need to realize that, that if you're going to serve a very tight area, seven minutes, which is 14-minute round trip, four jobs an hour, you've got to have a lot of different food. You've got to feed everybody in that, and you've got to feed every eating occasion, and you've got to feed the veto vote. Um, but, you know, if I'm only serving seven minutes, I can't do that with three concepts. It won't work. During our conversation, Chris provided a massive amount of food for thought, and afterwards I went outside to the parking lot next to the cluster truck kitchen, and there, in the lunchtime sun, I saw a long line of drivers waiting to pick up their next order for delivery. I spoke to some of them, and they told me a couple of very important things. One was that they only work for cluster truck, and that implies a level of loyalty that's unusual in the world of delivery. And the other thing was that they don't just leave the order with their customers. They chat to them, they get to know them. And that's another very unusual thing in the world of delivery. All in all, I wish I'd spent longer with Chris. And now that I've had the opportunity to reflect on what he said, I'd like to share some of those further thoughts with you. I'll start with something that I've often talked about before. They are the three original sins of delivery. The first is what you could politely call the cost-revenue imbalance. Basically, it doesn't make money. 
The second sin is that operators who cook the food for third-party delivery don't know who their customers are. The process just isn't transparent. And the third sin is that the operator doesn't form a relationship with its customers and doesn't get the chance to do what brick-and-mortar restaurants do, get to know their customers as people. To that, I think it's worth adding a fourth, and I alluded to it in my introductory comments. It's the fact that the delivery model is based on paying low wages to people on whom the delivery company relies totally. This gives rise to the conundrum of how to pay them much more without throwing the delicately balanced finances of delivery into disarray. In other words, how to pay drivers more without making deeper losses. The way that Chris tells it, and I've absolutely no reason to doubt him, this was his starting point in the development of Cluster Truck. In other words, he placed the delivery rider at the core of the operation, rather than treating him or her as an afterthought expense that must be managed to within an inch of its economical life. Starting with the driver or rider and working back, the cluster truck model ensures that there's no waiting time to recruit the driver for the order. Instead, the operation focuses on delivering on time and with the required quality. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Three further things follow from this delivery driver first approach, and they address the three original sins of delivery. First, as Chris tells it, his model delivers a profit. Let me say that another way. It's possible to run a profitable ghost kitchen delivery model. The second key thing is that it provides complete transparency over the customer because there is no intermediary between the customer and the kitchen. All the data about customers is available to the kitchen operator. And finally, the delivery driver first model does something magical. As I've already said, cluster truck drivers get to know their customers as people. They connect the customer and the kitchen, just like a waiter connects the customer and the restaurant in a bricks and mortar environment. Now, I don't like to go overboard in assessing what companies do. No one is perfect. And a challenge for Cluster Truck is how agile it can be in the face of ongoing future changes, in the levels of competition, in changes in the regulatory landscape, in changes to menus, in changes to property costs, and much else. But addressing the three plus one original sins of the delivery market seems to me to be a good place to start. And so I'll end with a big thank you to Chris Baggett for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us. And I think this is a good place to end this episode of The Delivery Profits. Here's a reminder that whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, ghost kitchen operator, investor, or simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Apple, Google, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world forward slash the delivery profits. 
So it's goodbye from today's delivery profits from Indianapolis. And don't forget to tune in to the next edition of the Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever-evolving industry.